Hey, Tyson here. Today's episode of the I-5 Corridor is an interview with AJ McCord, who is off to a new adventure after five years in Portland as a broadcaster with Coin and 1080 The Fan. Uh, but before we get to that, just wanted to give a quick shout out to all of our paid and free subscribers of the I-5 Corridor. We're more than a thousand strong now, and we're heading into our final few months of this first year. And the good news is football season's right around the corner. So uh, thanks to everyone who has helped support and, and make this venture possible. And really excited to uh, dive into some uh, deeper form stores here uh, heading into the summer. Um, but let's get right to the AJ McCord exit interview. You're listening to the I-5 Corridor, hosted by Tyson Alger and Aiden Schneider. I wanted to start with like kind of that nomadic life and, and moving here. Um, in your goodbye message, you kind of wrote that like when you came to the state, you had no job, little self-confidence mm -hmm. and, and couldn't like kind of dream of what this is like five years later. Could you could you kind of just like take me through like getting to Oregon and, and kind of the position that, that you found yourself in and, and what you envisioned, what you thought could happen versus like what actually did? Yeah, I I mean, I meant everything that I said in that post leaving the job that I did before here, it was a job that just, I, I could not, I, I never, I did not feel valued in. Um, I never felt like I was doing a great job in it. It wasn't a healthy work environment. It was in fact, the opposite. It was an incredibly toxic work environment and there was no, um, there was little to no appreciation for life outside of work. And so you just left, I just left feeling like I had given everything and it had taken everything. And so when I came to Oregon, you know, I was interviewing for jobs both in Eugene and in Portland because my husband was starting medical school in Lebanon, which is kind of like really awkward in between yeah. spot of like, which market do you end up in? Um, but I was really hesitant, even in those interviews of like, I I need to know a lot because I, you know, I, I mean, I, I did gymnastics. I was an athlete. Like confidence was not something that I ever lacked um, in my adult life in terms of like knowing who I was and, and things like that. And I think that that was the really challenging part of coming to Oregon is feeling like, okay, I don't know who, I don't know what I want my voice to be yet but I know that I can't go back to that. Right. Um, and so how do I trust another station or another company to like respect who I am or respect what I bring or when I can't, when I don't even know what that is. Right. Because I was just so, um, yeah, I just had no confidence in, in what I was doing or anything. And so um, in all of my interviews, I was really, really, um, firm I guess of like here's what I here's the boundaries that I know I need to set because I know I can't go back to that place um but I was also interviewing <laughs> my lowest point was I was unemployed for like three months or four months which was awful when I first moved here and um were, were you the type that um I did look at your bio I did see that you did like a couple of years of like whitewater rafting and or like like instructing but yeah. like had you had like an extended like unemployment phase at all in your like because like 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 yep. for me I think like even with like the month that I took off between the athletic and corridor I I think I've been unemployed like five weeks in my life and it drove me nuts <laughs> yes I was I was miserable um any sort of like 
any sort of anxiety and depression that I already felt from the leftovers of that job were exacerbated tenfold because I was not working. And I was in this apartment in Albany and my husband was gone like 13 hours a day. And then he was exhausted when he came. So it was very lonely. I knew nobody like didn't know a single soul. Um, and so, (laughs) so my like lowest, like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to have to try and find something else to do was I looked into grad school and I have a respect for the most part for higher education. I hated school. Like I was not somebody who loved school, but I looked into grad school because I looked into trying to get to be a pole vaulter. That was like, <laughs> I like, yeah, I was told I'd be really good at this. And a lot of former gymnasts are really good at pole vaulting. And so I was like, I don't know, maybe like, probably won't make the Olympics at this point, but maybe it'd be kind of fun to like, like go co- back. Like career earnings of pole vaulters and like. Yeah, you know, and so <laughs> I looked into that, but I like, I mean, I broke my back in gymnastics. Like I don't have that anymore. You know, like I'm, th- we were just talking about it. Like I'm not 20 anymore. And I wasn't 20 then when I was like looking into doing this, but I was just so, I was trying to be so open to like whatever was next. And then I started part-time with coin and that was when I was like, oh, this place is is very different from the one that I left. And so, um, yeah, but I'm really bad at sitting still. I'm really bad at not having things to do. Like, I will make a million things to do, which actually that's how I started falling in love with the outdoors was because, like, I'd been a whitewater rafting guide, sure. But, like, and I'd hiked in Arkansas and stuff like that. But I, you know, it's hard to go out on your own in a new state in trails and forests that you're just not familiar with at all. But I was like, I'm going to go crazy if I like continue to sit inside this tiny little apartment with nobody here. And we didn't have much money. And so I was like, what is the least expensive thing I can do? And it was buy gas and go hiking. And so that was how I started finding so much peace and healing and clarity in Oregon's outdoors was because I, I I was going I was going crazy waiting for somebody to call or waiting to figure out what was going to be next. Well, what was it like? Um, so I'm not from Oregon, but I started at the Oregonian when I was like when I was like 21. It was like an internship, and so like it kind of felt natural to like raise from like the preps to college to whatever yeah. to a point where I'm arrogant enough to like start my my own site. But what? What was it like kind of joining like the state's media core in a in a city larger than what you had been in previously and just kind of like trying to find your niche as as someone who's like kind of the outsider? Mm-hmm. Well, I will say like for the like vast majority, in fact, I am struggling to think of anybody in like the sports media scene in Portland who doesn't fit this mold. Everybody was so welcoming. No, let's, and... let's start naming names. Let's, let's, let's start. Let's... <laughs> <laughs> um, like, I'll never forget how welcoming like Brooke Olsen Dam was, right? Like she was one of the ones immediately that was like, hey, I'm Brooke. Like, if you ever need anything, let me know. You know, like she was just the most welcoming human being I had ever met. And at the time that I joined Coin, I didn't know Adam and I were both part time. And so I never actually saw him because we worked separate days. Um, but once we both started working full time together, 
he was like the go-to on like, especially preps and um, like college stuff. He was just like so dialed in on all of that. I mean, Blazers and Seahawks too, but like in terms of what is intimidating to learn when you first start in a place, it's always high school because it's like those ties run so deep and people remember rivalries so well. And like, and you're on, and you're part, on TV. So you actually have to like know how to pronounce like the random school names yeah. in town. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like, like I never, I'll, I'm, I'm certain. Well, hopefully I'm not the only person who's ever done this, but I certainly called Aloha Aloha the first time that I ever did it because I'm like, my parents lived in Hawaii. Right. Like I, there's like, so anyway, um, so I, <laughs> like so great with like pronunciations and spellings and things like that. But it really was, that was one of my, I'm not going to say bigger fears, but that was certainly, it's certainly something that you always have to feel out, right? Like when you're first getting to a new job, because every question that you ask, depending on sort of the caliber of the core that you're in, there's the potential for judgment. And, you know, oh, that was a stupid question. New girl has a dumb question. You know, like you add in that you're one of the few women and it just, it just, uh, you know, exacerbates the anxiety. (laughs) And it's so much tougher, like in this day and age too, because like any mistake that you may make is like streamed live or like it's going to be tweeted out. So thankfully this was before Zoom. So not, but it was like, it wasn't like the press conferences were streamed live as often. Um, because otherwise I think I would have had some embarrassing, like, <laughs> but I definitely, that's one of the things that I, I did like remind myself of because in Arkansas, it was a much harder media market to break into because just like everyone had been around for forever and they've seen so many people come and go, um, that there's like that core and they were all very nice, but it was like that core, you know, you, you know, this, like in every media scrum, there's somebody who has. 1800 questions there's somebody who like will take 20 years to ask their question you know like there's like there's like the same character cast of characters in a lot of these which is great but when you're jumping into it you're like oh what am I gonna be in this you know like in this play of media people what character am I playing like who am I gonna be and so I had always wanted to be a sideline reporter and so one of the like so I always studied like legitimately studied the way sideline reporters ask their questions. Hmm. And so it's always like have a fact or like a tidbit and then ask a question based off of that. And so that's the formula that I was like, okay, when you're not certain of what you're asking, like fall back to that formula. And I think that that earned me the respect of, of like the, you know, the, the people in Portland was because I didn't, I was very, um, intentional I guess with my questions like I didn't ask a question just to ask it it was like no I have this and a lot of times it's okay to to I feel like it's it's okay to phrase a question in a way that lets the person you're asking know hey I don't know as much about this as you do right like like element of like if I'm asking Terry Stotts or Chauncey Billups or Damian Lillard whoever it is a basketball question the reality is they know more about it than I do, right? Like I'm not in there in the meetings. I'm not a professional coach or a professional basketball player in any capacity. And so I think there's a way to phrase it where you're genuinely trying to understand or like genuinely trying to get an answer as opposed to like a gotcha or like a, 
like an arrogance to it of like, well, how dare you not run this player? How dare you not switch to the zone or whatever? Like there was a reason you didn't switch to the zone. I'm just asking why I, it was, you know? I, I feel like coming at things with like kind of that, that like humble approach almost like, like I, yeah. I, I really like throwing people like kind of for a loop by like a lot of times just being like, Hey, like this might be a really dumb question. Like, even though like, I know, sure. like I've done this long enough to know, like, I know like that's pr what I'm about to ask is going to get the answer that I want, but it just kind of like, I, I feel like there's a lot of athletes who think that like the media carries like such arrogance to it that like, like nobody, I mean, people want to hear what we say, but like people want to hear what they say a hell of a lot more than, than, than what, than what we do. That's how I've always viewed, like, that's how I've always viewed my role. Like I, the reason I got into sports broadcasting was because I was 16 and we were watching an NFL Thanksgiving game. And I will, I'll never forget this. Like I remember sitting on the couch with my mom at my uncle's house watching while everyone's like getting Thanksgiving dinner ready. My mom and I were watching football <laughs> and um, I think it was like the jets and the Bengals or something like that. And it was, it was definitely, and I'm pretty sure cause it was like, it was definitely Ocho Cinco was playing. And I want to say it was Antonio Cromartie who was guarding him, uh, who was playing DB. But I couldn't, I am not sure on the DB. But I remember the sideline reporter, pretty sure it was Andrea Kramer, or Alex Flanagan, because there were very few that I could watch that were women growing up. And, you know, the guys are doing the X's and O's, whatever, whatever. And then they throw down to the sideline reporter and she starts telling me, like how one of the players was like hosting a Thanksgiving meal at his house afterwards for his whole family that hadn't seen him play yet or something along those lines. And all of a sudden I was like, whoa, like not only, not only do I see a woman like incorporating in this sports thing, but or like in the sports game, but now she's telling me something that humanizes the athlete. Right. And that was, that's always been how I viewed that's my why like my why for getting into sports broadcasting is to remind you of the human being underneath your favorite team's jersey like that is it for me and I've always viewed myself as like a vessel for like athletes message to audience and that's been it right so that so for me there's always a humility there because I'm not the story because my question is only serving its purpose. If it gets an answer from an athlete to an audience about a critical moment, about who they are, about their motivation, whatever, in a way that the audience can be reminded that this is a human being, regardless of what they cost you in fantasy or in betting or whatever it is. And so I think that's how I've like made a bit of a name. Like, I think that's how I built my brand in, in Portland was having a humility, never playing the gotcha game and, and never thinking that I know more yeah. about a sport than the person who gets paid a lot of money to play it. As, um, as you're kind of packing up and preparing for your next step, how many AJ McCord Hillsborough hops bobbleheads do you have in your possession? And are you at all worried about uh, how long they may last and survive surviving whatever move you have coming up? <laughs> I think I have three of them left. Um, there's like one at 1080. There's one at coin. I think there's going to be, I think those are going to be hitting the goodwill round like within a year or so. <laughs> like I, I, I just, 
um, you know, like going through the Oregonian newsroom back when I used to work there, like there was always like a John Canzano bobblehead. And it, it, seem, it seems like it, it's just always I love that kind of it's not like small town by any means, but just kind of like the local media core and, and totally um, like like that had what was that probably like three years into your your time here? Two years? Yeah, that was so it was actually just two years. Yeah. So <laughs> kind of going back into your story a little bit, though, like at, like once you started with coin and then you kind of established yourself, like how did you get from like that point to like, I'm going to be the person who's like cartwheeling while doing like the first pitch at like minor league baseball games or like, you know, like that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, well, I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I think that I, I, I feel like being able to cartwheel is probably step number one in, in that. In that process. Oh, oh, so I don't have, have many party tricks left, but that oh. was one of them. And when I got asked to do that, I was pretty sure I was going to be the only woman unless they got Brooke to do it. <laughs> So I was like, I'm hyper, I'm so competitive. It's like, it's such, it's such a problem. And so as soon as I find out, found out that it was like a competition and that whoever won was going to get their own bobblehead, I was like, well, I have to win. Yeah. Right. And I've seen a lot of former gymnasts go out and do first pitches and they always add some sort of gymnastics element to it. Well, they're like doing backflips and aerials, which is like no handed stuff. And I was like, yeah, I'm too old for that. So <laughs> I was like, but a one handed cartwheel, like, I think I could still do that. So I went out to the like baseball field by our house at the time and practiced it. That would have been so I funny to like drive by and just like see some like <laughs> random person in the field practicing cartwheel throw. Yes. I wasn't even hitting the backstop. Like I was so all over the place that I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be awful. And at one point my husband was like, are you sure you want to do this? Because this could be like really embarrassing. And I was like, okay, well, um, part of the credit is if you go viral. Right. And so like part of the like point system is that you want the most engagement on social media. And I was like, I mean, if the worst thing that happens is it like goes all over the place and people are just dunking on me on Twitter, <laughs> I still win. Right. Right. Like I it's an engagement play. Yeah. Engagement play. So that was what it was. So I was like, even if this is absolutely awful, whatever, you know, like what do I have to lose kind of thing. And um, clearly I hadn't had much experience with how brutal Twitter yeah, can right. be at that point. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so I went out there and like right before, I, uh, right before the game, I like went over to the field, like next to the hops or whatever. And I was practicing a few more times. It never like it, like I threw it into the dirt one time, like five feet in front of me. Another time it was like so sky high that I don't even know where it would have gone. You know, like it was like a, it was awful. So I was like, well, this is going to be embarrassing. It is what it is and whatever. <laughs> And then uh, it that the pitch that I threw was absolutely the best that I had practiced. You know, pr professionals they just perform on the stage with people. You know, it's 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 exactly it's, it's the best. The best are able to accomplish that. Um, because of my job and driving to Eugene all the time over like the last ten years, I've listened to like an obscene amount of like sports talk radio, and that was a platform that you entered. What like six months ago, even. A year, a year, a year and a half. A year, oh my gosh, yeah, I'm still, yeah. I'm still in like the pandemic, like time, time warp. Um, uh, no, we 
March 1st of 2021. And that, and so my actual like first reaction when, when you announced that you were leaving was like, I was just bummed because I've, I had really grown to like, uh, the AJ and Dusty show on, on 1080. I, I thought you guys had like a, a very unique sound like in the market. And like, I liked the chemistry that you guys had and like one, what was, what was your time in radio like? And then two, like, I imagine like that, that was probably a hard part in, in this, in this next move for you is is kind of having to give up something like that 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 you would just kind of kind of started yeah it that was definitely really hard um dusty is one of the best people that i've ever worked with um from like a human being standpoint and from a co-worker standpoint i was so nervous we just talked about how i don't like being the story right like i am a vessel i am somebody who gets goes from like the translator sort of thing, if you will, like that's, that's been the role that I have viewed myself. And so jumping into sports talk radio, I was terrified because all of a sudden I had to like share my opinion. Um, and the text line is a brutal place. Um, for like, I mean, I, I, I thought I developed like relatively thick skin from just being a woman in sports media for like however long it had been at that point. There were texts that I was like, oh, my so God. When, like, when you're in the studio and they talk about the text line is like, are you guys seeing that? Like, as it, or is it going or is it routing through like your producer first? And no, oh, it's like I computer. Um, so it was and and I had to develop a system where it was like, I can't look at this in an important topic where I'm asserting my opinion because if I see a like mean text or like a text, you know, critiquing whatever I'm saying, I'll get derailed. And so I had to develop like some boundaries. <laughs> I had to develop some boundaries um, with some of our listeners who would text in. But um, that was such a small part of it. It just was like an emotional part of it. But Dusty and I, like, I, I would never, I don't think I would have gotten into sports talk radio with many people um because i hadn't had a great like perception of sports talk radio it's a bunch of guys who never go to games espousing their opinion and like giving hot takes and it was like why you know like why should i like you're not the you know whatever and so one of the things that dusty and i really focused on was not doing these hot takes it was on storytelling it was on not being afraid to have nuanced conversations but i was actually very afraid to have nuanced conversation because you're trusting that the words that you're saying in real time will be heard the way you're hoping that they're heard right and so for me there was a ton of anxiety in putting myself out there like that and I I, I, I I get enough anxiety just from doing like press conference zoom in interviews like like even worse than yeah. like when we were in person because it's just like everyone's waiting for like to get to you and then it's like all right and yeah. then yeah it, it it consumes me at times yeah so um i mean i had some days especially early where i was like what am i doing i i can't i cannot do this like i'm giving myself such anxiety. I don't know enough about anything to be talking about it. You know, like I can't even fake it until I make it because it's three hours right. on the freaking rate. Um, and so Dusty was amazing. I mean, like I, I cannot, I cannot sing his praises enough of the way he taught me some of the like tricks of radio, the way he taught me how to develop an opinion. Cause remember like 
not develop an opinion, but portray an opinion. Cause up until that point, like two and a half minutes is all I ever got. <laughs> right. Like if I was really lucky, we had a half hour show, which is 22 minutes. Right. And now all of a sudden 22 minutes is like a long segment. I, I, and it's like, my gosh. I, I feel like that's the thing that people don't realize is because like when you made that transition to radio, it's like, Oh, like, well, she's on TV. She talks like that's probably a natural totally. fit. That must be easy. But like, like I talk, I would probably talk more weekly on a podcast than, than you like, and I'm the print guy, <laughs> you know, you know? Yeah, exactly. And so that said though, like I remember, um, like as thick as my skin had to get with the text line, it's at some point, there are so many stories in the last year where I've realized regardless of how hard it was for me to talk about it, it was important for my perspective to be heard. And I think that that was a like value that I maybe didn't necessarily realize I had until I got on the radio, you know, like I didn't realize, I didn't realize the importance of my own voice, if that makes yeah. sense. Um, until I got on the radio and we would talk about really hard things like, like, oh my gosh, I, like the Larry Nasser trial was really hard um, because obviously I was a gymnast. Um, a coach that I worked with super closely was later fired from the gym and arrested for um, like sexual misconduct with a bunch of gymnasts and for doing the same things that he was doing when I was there. And so that story hit so incredibly close to home but that was something that I'd hardly talked about, like with my family or with my husband, because it's so, I think the thing about gymnastics that people just maybe like, it's, it's just so important to grasp, but it's so hard to understand is you're so young, like you're 10, you're 11, you're 12. Like that's when you're at the height or like almost height of your career. Right. And so these things that are happening to you and around you, you don't have any idea. Like the, the coaches are your parents. They're your family because I would spend, I mean, we had nine hour practices five days a week. Like I was there all the time. And so, you know, I remember Dusty just giving me so much space to share and to process. And I remember reading the text line after that and being like, whoa, I was terrified to share my experience and not just share my experience because it's not just about like, it's not about necessarily garnering sympathy of like, Oh man, you went through X, Y, and Z, but it's more of like contextualizing. Here's how this impacts all of us. Like, here's how this impacts you. If you simply know a woman, right. right? Like, and I think that that was something that, yeah, again, like I just, I didn't realize how needed that was in sports talk radio um because the the best man in the world can empathize but you you know it's it's hard for anybody to who hasn't had to do it to understand like i don't know many women many women who don't like walk through a parking garage with their keys stuck between their fingers like wolverine because i'm I, like from the time i was walking through parking garages i was taught like be ready to defend yourself, have mace with you when you run, like when you hike, whatever. And so just, I think that that's, that's where I felt so grateful 
for sports talk radio. And it also challenged me way more than anything I'd ever done because there's an emotional exhaustion right. that comes with that, right? Like the vulnerability and things like that. And so um, I was so, I was so grateful for Dusty and for Jeff and the entire team at 1080 who just welcomed me so wholeheartedly and also reminded me like in the moments where I was like, what am I doing? My anxiety is through the roof. Right. I like, you know, whatever, just reminding me that like my voice was important. And, um, I think that was like, that was a really big step for me personally of realizing that it's almost like it's okay to have a voice if that makes sense. Cause I was always, I always just felt like as a journalist, that's not my job. My job is not to share my voice. Um, my job is to highlight the athletes and coaches and teams that I'm, that I'm talking about. But I think that was where I realized your voice can matter as well. If you sort of share it thoughtfully. Yeah. If that makes sense. Absolutely. And I think like, I like, that's why I like the show so much is because, and I'm part of this demographic, but I would say 99% of the Portland and Oregon media market is like, 30 to 45 year old white dudes <laughs> and and like I, I think when you said you know like like that we we can empathize but like there, there it's just such a more um it's 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 there's so much value in having a different array of perspectives and and I and I think ultimately yeah. that's it, it's not necessarily you talked about like your uneasiness with like being you know, like a part of the story or sharing your your opinions but like we are put like like we have these jobs where we are in these positions where like we can offer our perspectives and, and and I think when you handle it like the way that you do or, or like you know even the way that like Dusty does by like allowing you that space like I, I think there's so much value in that just because um, it does feel like such like a gate like a gatekeeper type of job where it's just like like why do I deserve this voice that like these people do and it's just like those people are just like us it's it's just it's just someone who's willing to put themselves out there into that uh, situation yeah. 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 So I, 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 I mean, <laughs> I cried through like three of the segments on our last day. Uh, I was just like, I will miss, I will miss Dusty so much. I will miss the create the space that we created more than I thought I would. Um, but it also, I think has opened me up to some of the things that could very well be in my future. Like it opened me up to Oh, this is why people love podcasts, right? right? And like I can have like we had we had CJ on and Zach Collins and Anthony and uh Phil Beckner and Jordan Childs. Like we had so many people on and it was so wonderful to be able to like talk to them for the 12 to 15 minutes and have everybody hear the 12 to 15 minutes. Whereas in TV, if I do a 12 minute interview. I have to cut that down to three minutes, you know? And it's like, that was always really, it, it's something that like my producers would always um, tease me about in uh, at coin is because I would try to sneak like seven minute packages by them. <laughs> and they're like, we can't air this. Right. <laughs> yes, you can. We just need to like move a bunch yeah, of things. <laughs> let's, just, just, let's just rearrange so, the whole day. Like it's, it's not a big deal. Yeah. It's, what else is going on? You know, whatever. So that was one thing that I really loved was that it felt so much more like a conversation than in TV. TV does feel like, here, let me present the highlights. Right. Let me present this story. Whereas like, it did feel more like a conversation in radio. And that was something that I didn't really realize was a hole that I 
missed in sports coverage. What um what was your proudest day of work from the last five years? Oh man. Just like when you get home and you're like, God, like that was that was what I wanted it to be. You know, can I can I pick a? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I mean, the first one of them was definitely the first day at the radio, um, because it was very much like a, oh my gosh, I just made, I just, I just, I just made some history of like the only woman in sports talk radio. That Katie Brown had done it in Portland before, but in that space, there was like this, like that felt really really good i think um another one would be the day that dame agreed to a one-on-one with me because that was right before everything closed for the pandemic and when i realized i've earned respect in this locker room and that meant the world to me um and then i think one of the other ones would have been any of the game days during that 2019 blazers run because I had that um, at a digital series called courtside chats that aired before every game. And I produced it. I edited it. I hosted it. I got the guests for it. And I was really proud of that. Cause it was something that when we started it, no one else was doing for that series. And it quickly became like, Oh, this is a really great, like almost like a pseudo pregame show. Um, and we had like Jason quick on, we had Doris Burke, we had, um Sabrina came by at one point and so that was like a really proud like oh I can I can create something new and valuable um so I think those those three are probably some of the biggest ones I mean there were so many wonderful days though that it like the Super Bowl the first Super Bowl that I covered I was like oh my gosh I just covered the freaking Super Bowl that Uh, that would have been in Tampa Yeah. And, uh, I was on the morning show and it was like, so that meant I was doing like about 70 live shots in like a (laughs) seven hour stretch. And I just remember like getting done the first day and going like, Oh my gosh, we just did that. And now I have to do it for six more days. (laughs) So it was great though. What, uh, what are the challenges of the port, the Portland market? Hmm. I think the challenge that I found, well, I think that the, I would say two challenges that I found. One is grasping what matters to the audience the most, because we covered such a wide swath, right? Like I went to Seahawks games and we had a Seahawks show. And then we also had like traveling for the NCAA tournament for the ducks. And so I think that was the challenge for me was understanding just how wide and how deep the Portland market cares about different sports. Um, And obviously like the Blazers are the heartbeat of the Portland market, but I think um, you do, you do cover like five hours worth of teams on I five. And so I think that was a challenge to me of like working really hard to know the ins and outs of every single team because there were so many of them and because, you know, we couldn't make it to every Seahawks press conference and ducks press conference, but like, I need to know what is said in all of those. Um, And I think the other thing that I have run into as well is just how, um, 
I think Portland has been so incredibly open. Like I think Portland is a, is a market that loves women's sports. And also it's hard to prioritize them when there's so many other things going on, if that makes sense. Like, Port, like every time I would talk about the Ducks or Beavers women's basketball team or the Thorns or U.S. women's national team or whatever it was, Jordan Childs, Jade Carey, like people loved it and people were invested in it. But I think that was something that I have realized is also a big part of my voice. Like I am so passionate about women's sports and fighting for the equality there. It's not that anybody necessarily like put that you know it's not like anybody was like oh you can't talk about well you know it's not like anybody put that there but it was just like always being cognizant of how I'm sharing that and how how much weight I'm putting on that in my sports cast or in the radio or whatever and I remember the first day that we talked about the WNBA on the radio the text line was just full <laughs> of like who cares and I think I even said something about like I don't care if you care. The reality is these women deserve coverage right. and we're going to talk I mean, about and, them. And, and at but, the very least too, it's like that topic got a whole bunch of texts like that. That's listener engagement there. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, but then like the last week that I was there, we talked about like um, the New York Liberty's owner trying to buy a plane and uh, or ch charter every WNBA team this year or whatever. And there was like, actual engagement on the text line of like oh like treating it like any other sports topic you know so that was also probably a pretty proud moment was when our listeners on the radio and I mean I think tv like I said tv it's harder to get a feel in the moment of like what people think of your stories and when you share them to social like the people who follow me know you're gonna get WNBA you're gonna get women's soccer you're gonna get gymnastics and so that it always was received really well on social, um, which is where all the TV stuff ended up. But I think that was also a pretty proud moment for me was when like we started talking about the WNBA and people were actually like, oh, what do you think about the Mercury this year? Like, do you think Sabrina's going to have a breakout year? And, da, da, da. and it was like, yes. <laughs> gotcha, guys. Got gotcha. Um, your three best Oregon hikes. The Oregon, not Northwest. Well, okay, so it can completely be Northwest. Okay, because the number one is Colchuck Lake up in Leavenworth. That's my absolute favorite. Um, oh, man, picking three. Um, this is arbitrary. It could be six. <laughs> okay, well, I could just keep going. I mean, Abiqua Falls down near Salem, like Silverton area, is amazing. Um, I did that one quite a bit when we lived down that direction. Um Kimanawa's Falls out by Mount Hood is beautiful. Um, oh, one of my favorite ones is, uh, I think it's called Twin Lakes. It's off of the Frog Lake Trailhead off of, I think it's 20, it's Highway 35, I think, the one that goes from like government camp to Hood River. Um, that one's so fun. It has a road thing and it's a lake and I love that one. I'll probably have to do that one again before we leave. And um, there's one out on the coast called Hearts Cove that has a waterfall going into the ocean. I could really keep going, <laughs> but I'll just I'll just stop there. 
Perfect. Um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get you out of here on this one, but uh, kind of coming back to where we started, but you, ha you haven't announced where you're going yet and I'll let you do, this isn't going to be the platform for you to do that. But when, <laughs> when you do eventually drive out of this state, um, you know, you talked about no confidence, wanting to take flight and stuff like where, where are you at as you leave this state and, and just mm -hmm. what, uh, what kind of visions for, for your next phase do you kind of hope to be able to um, man, well, I could cry at how grateful I am for, for Oregon, for the people who like listened and watched and read and for the employers that I've had who like created the platforms and opportunities, um, and for the athletes who trusted me along the way and like with some really heavy topics and some really light topics too. Like we had a ton of fun and the Adrian Action Outdoor Series yeah. is something that I had like the time of my life doing. Um, but I think, you know, when I drove into the state, I remember the very first hike was in Lebanon. I can't remember the name of it, but I had looked up, I don't know why I looked it up, but I had looked up the state motto of Oregon and it's a Latin phrase. And I think you pronounced it Alice Vula Propri or something like that. And the translation is she flies with her own wings. So that is the state motto of Oregon. And somehow I knew that, like I looked that up for some bizarre reason. Um, and so I think like, as I leave Oregon, I feel like this is the spot in my career that I will look back on and like confidently know that this was the time for this chapter to end but this will be the chapter that I also will look back on with the most fondness and nostalgia and gratefulness because through the opportunities that I've had, through the stories that I've told, through the space that has been created for by athletes, by fellow media, by Dusty, 1080 coin, like all of it, this is where I've learned who I want to be in this industry. And I think what, what, why my voice matters and why my perspective matters. And it's not always because I'm sharing my perspective, but sometimes it's, it's in the questions that I ask or the stories that I tell and that the story doesn't have to be about me at all for it to have like the fingerprints of my perspective on what's important, if that makes sense. Yeah, and so I think that as as I leave, I just think about how I, I couldn't, I wouldn't be where I am without every single person and athlete and fan and critic and, you know, all of it along the way who sort of helped me carve out, like, I think of, I think of, you know, Michelangelo's story of how he created the statue of David, how he just chipped away everything that wasn't David. And I feel like when I came here, I was still like this massive block of stone and that over the last five years, things have been chipped away about what is not my voice, what is not who I am, what is not the legacy that I want to leave or the stories that, you know, like that's all been chipped away. And now I leave knowing that whatever's next will be more true version of myself like I will be able to bring a more true version of myself to what is next 
because I know what is important. And I learned that in Oregon. I learned that through all of the press conferences, all of the games, all of the travel, all of the shows. And it crystallized in all of the time that I took to myself in the outdoors, reflecting on the work, prioritizing, like sifting through the weeks and the hard times and the good times and like the clarity that the outdoors in Oregon provided me because it became as necessary for me to be outside every week as it was for me to show up to work. Like I had to have that space to reflect. And there's a lot of really beautiful places in this country. The Northwest is so special and the hiking and the outdoors are so freeing and I feel like the combination of empowering employers and coworkers combined with the space that the outdoors provided to reflect and uh, realign like what I wanted and who I was and, and what I was hoping for out of X, Y, and Z story created like this, it created it revealed a more true version, I think, of, of who I want to be and, and what I um, what I will carry with me when I, you know, wherever, what, what, with what is next. Well, this is the end of your I-5 corridor exit interview. You're, uh, you're free to go on vacation now. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. You're listening to the I-5 Corridor, hosted by Tyson Alger and Aiden Schneider.